Can't help. talk. Praying. Dear Lord, the gods have been good to me, and I am thankful. For the first time in my life, everything is absolutely perfect, just the way it is. So here's the deal. You freeze everything as it is, and I won't ask for anything more. If that is okay, please give me absolutely no sign. Okay, deal. In gratitude, I present you this offering of cookies and milk. If you want me to eat them for you, give me no sign. That will be done. How many of us have prayed to God something like similar to Homer? Now, not like literally, like word for word. Like we already, like it's more like we already made a plan, right? We already thought of our idea. We already made our decision. Lay down our life's program for ourselves, and we ask God to just bless it. Say, God, if you don't want it to happen, uh, if you don't want it to happen, show me a sign within the next ten minutes. That's the thing. Because really, we already made our decision. We want this to happen, and we want to go for it. And chances are, it's probably happening tomorrow. So we just say, Lord. Just bless it. Okay. You provide for us, right? You provide for this for me. So I'll just take it. We don't really want God to say no. And so, in me, sometimes I'm tempted to do this. I tended to just go and utilize my doctrine in my head that I know, or the, the cliches that I've done, that I've come to grown up with, and I pray these up first. Here, check this one out. God, you love me, right? You really, really love me, right? You're not going to let me down. Oh, no. I sang that song. I know it. King of my heart, you're not going to let me down. You're never going to let me down. You never let me down. Hear my worship. You never let me down. <laughs> right? Hear me. Hear me, God. I love me. You love me. Right? That's what we say. We put God in. We think that we could put God in a corner and say, look, God, I have my plans. Honor it. Bless it. Because for all things, including my things, work together for the good. I'm quoting another song. For all things, including my things, work all together for my good. Right? That's what we say on that one. God, you love me, right? And by the way, God, oh, here's the deal. If it works out, I'll hide two times one. I'll double it. Oh wait, God, if it works out, I'll come to church every Sunday. On time. Try it. Take 10%. Oh wait, God, if it works out, I'll revere you more, I'll worship you more, I'll read my Bible more. Unfortunately, unfortunately, but when things don't go the way we want, we now we doubt. We say, God, did you even hear me? Did you hear my prayers? Have you ever even heard my prayers? Are you even there? And some people would say, do you even exist? Because, Lord, like, if you if God exists, why do bad things happen to me? Or, you know, like Homer says, like, why do bad things happen to bad people all the time? That's okay. That's a joke. For <laughs> so, I hear this often. I hear this saying to myself too, I catch it as well, and I confess, it convicts me in my heart, deep down, because really, what I really want the best is 
what's what I think is best for me, not really what God wants for best for me. So here are the questions for this story. The questions are often uh, I hear asked about when it comes to prayer is, is God really here? Is he really listening to my prayers? Why is God not talking to me? Why is he talking to her but not me? And why is God answering her prayers and not mine? So these are the questions I would like us to journey together this morning. But before we begin, let's review the previous three chapters of your God, because we're actually embarking on chapter four. And so for those of you who may have missed one or two, this is for your benefit as well. The big idea in chapter one, in fact the entire book, was this statement. People are meant to live in an ongoing conversation with God. Speaking and being spoken to. Let me repeat that. People, you and I, in actually all of humanity, are meant to live in an ongoing conversation with God, speaking and being spoken to. Welcome to your purpose on this planet. You are meant to live in an ongoing conversation with God. A thriving life is to live a life in frequent conversation with God. We say that God is our friend, but are we truly friends when we seldom talk to Him and seldom listen? Now, the second highlight was this next statement from Dallas Wilkin. He says this, I fear that many people seek to hear God solely as a device for obtaining their own safety, comfort, and sense of being righteous. Safety and security is not in our sending God's nature. If you recall, remember who he first sent. God sent his only son to do what? To the cross. And therefore, his will is definitely not for keeping us safe and free from suffering. We must realize that when we say God is our shepherd, he is and he will lead us through the deepest valley, the roughest terrain, the stormiest of weathers, towards what Psalm 23 will promise, and he promises, still waters, quiet pastures. But before that, there's 150 Psalms saying that he will direct us through the stormiest of days. So he doesn't, he's not obligated to make us feel that we will feel rewarded. He's not obligated to prevent us from letting down. He is not obligated to actually provide us with ultimate happiness. No. He is sending God. He, but he promises that he wants a relationship with us. In chapter 2, we identify one practice that we should all consider when developing and feeding our relationship with God. And that is the importance of being in the wilderness. Now, what is the purpose of being in the wilderness? We go into the wilderness because it's God's way of setting ourselves apart to focus on Him, to love Him, to realign our desires and loves towards Him. <clears throat> the first guideline of that wilderness mention was to love God with all our being. Well, ask ourselves, how do we do that if we continue to place ourselves in the midst of constant busyness and distractions? How do we love God with all our being if we consistently, willingly, and intentionally put ourselves into places of distraction and dizziness, or tie-ups, or, you know, or I'm just bombarded with so much stuff, okay? Now, remember for Elijah, 
when you actually look into the Elijah passage, uh, the passage in Kings about Elijah, he needed God desperately because he was in a crisis, right? So what did he do? He went into the wilderness. Then he found a mountain, Mount Horeb, and he went to God. He experienced God's presence, and what did God tell him to do? By the way, Elijah, go back to the crisis. Go back to the wilderness. Go back to the master. But in a different angle. Elijah, what did he do? He went in with hopelessness. He said, who else is there besides me? Then he met God. Then he went back to the crisis with a new angle, with a new perspective, a God perspective. How about us? When we encounter a crisis, do we go to a wilderness? Do we see God's presence? When we do, it gives us a new perspective. Reminds us who we are, why we're here. And then we go back to the crisis in Matthew 1. Now in chapter 3, we learn that merely studying the principles and knowing the principles of the Bible is not, is important, but not enough. Dancers, right? We went into the whole the metaphor of dancing. Dancers study the principles of dancing. But I ask you, does merely studying textbooks of dancing make you a dancer? No. Does merely listening to an instructor without doing the actual steps make you a dancer? No. Does merely studying the Bible then without doing anything, without sharing God's activity, make you a Christian? No. That's the same thing. Is it enough then to gain a better conversational relationship with God is merely reading his letters on the Bible? No. We, it is very important today, right now, and you and I, to start a active conversation with God, to actively share in his activity. Dallas Lord gave us really good principle. Communication is what I find the most important is communicating with God through sharing his activity. Through sharing his activity. And one of the activities that we looked into was actually the activity of contentment. Because when we focus less on ourselves, it's like dancing. When I was like I dance with Angel, with Rosanna's permission, <laughs> sorry, no, we'll slow it. Alright, like, let's get that to Angel. And we, we have to look eye to eye. I cannot be focusing on my feet. I cannot be focusing on what other people are viewing us. I cannot focus on my suit, whether it's like in line or anything. Because what will happen with the dance? Some will fumble and fall. I need to focus on her eyes, and she needs to focus on mine. Because I'm leading her. Follow? And as we trust each other, as we develop that trust, that gaze, that fix, and that dance becomes beautiful, not only that dance, but each of us become beautiful. And each of us will express our God-given person that God has originally made us be. The goodness will come out, same as the Holy Spirit. If we fix our eyes on the Holy Spirit and fix less on ourselves, fix less on our feet and our appearance and our reputation, and we allow the Holy Spirit and trust Him and focus on the eyes of the Holy Spirit, He will bring us out and whatever goodness we have will come to flourish. And that's why Galatians says, keep in step with the Spirit, for you will produce the fruits of the Spirit. Be led. Live by the Spirit. Walk with the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. All in the same chapter, by the way. And then you will produce the fruits of the Spirit. Follow? Okay, let's go on to chapter 4. Mark 10, 46-52. If you have your Bibles, please turn with, turn with me to Mark. 
1052. Popular story, but hopefully I will give you some a little bit of insight on this passage. Then they came to Jericho as Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city. A blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Tobias, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then he rebuked him and told him to be quiet. I But he shouted from even more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So he called to the blind man, Hear Onward me, he's calling you. Wait a minute, dude, he's blind. But anyway, why bother help him? We'll just say, Cheer up! Alright? Throwing his cloak aside, he's so blind, by the way. He jumps to his feet and came to you. Where does he know where Jesus is? He has no clue. He's blind. But we'll get to that point later. Alright? What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked? The blind man said, Rabbi, I want you to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. He immediately received the sight and followed Jesus along the road. Wilson mentioned four truths that we must believe in order to hear God's voice. One, God would. Two, God does. Three, God certainly can. And four, God should communicate with us. What do these truths mean? How will knowing these truths help us answer our questions we mentioned earlier? I.e., is God listening to me? Is he been there? Well, let's use these passages to elaborate, okay? And that's why my job is here this morning. Let's look at the first two verses, uh, 3, 46 to 48. Then they came to Jericho as Jesus and his disciples together with a large crowd were leaving the city. A blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. Now, just a little tip note. Timaeus means honorable. So he, so the narrator goes, son of the honorable one. Well, how is he honorable? We'll go into that. When he heard that it was Jesus Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Maybe he used it and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. We see the crowd rebuking and telling Barnabas to just shut up and be quiet. Why were they so rude to him? Well, what was going on when they encountered the blind man? Remember, Mark did not say that Jesus saw Barnabas, right? Who saw Barnabas? The crowd. The crowd saw him first. What was this huge, thousand-fold people crowd, big, large, remember, it is huge, crowd doing following Jesus? Well, guess what? Right after chapter 10 is chapter 11, and if you know Mark, chapter 11 goes like this. Many people spread their coats on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the field. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The grand entry. So there was a parade going on in chapter 10. A parade was already happening. Just think of it as a Santa Claus parade. A kingly procession. Humongous floats, fireworks already happening, confetti coming down, right? This picture, like, you know, I guess a cold wind. I don't know. <laughs> like if you're American, you know? Lots and lots of people. Thousands of people packed on how in Georgia Ridge to launch those floats all the way downtown. Santa Claus for right? Just think about that. And then, suddenly, you hear, you get this homeless man on the street at Howard, Georgia. They're ready to launch, already launching, actually. The boat's already moving. And then he goes, hey, buddy, can you give me something to eat? Think about that. Large crowds, humongous. Let's say you're part of the, one of the companies that you're representing on the march, right? Ready to go. You're marching. And suddenly, tap on the shoulder and goes, hey, buddy, can you give me something to eat? 
What was what the crowd thinking then? What was the crowd thinking? Well, they had a few things that, that they could do, but uh, some are maybe, you know, not so nice, like what we could do, right? We could say more, but we could say what the crowd did. What did the crowd do? The crowd just said, don't waste my time. Don't waste Jesus' time, he said, but actually what they said was, really, don't waste our time. Why did they say that? They know that Jesus is the son of David. They know that he is the king. They know that he has come to save them, right? They know that, that he is there to answer their prayers, killing off their enemies, solving all their problems. Because they've been praying and praying that the Romans would just be defeated and they would be killed off. They know that they know well that the immigrants are losing their house prices, so they want them to be killed off. They know that uh, you know there's a bunch of Gentiles here that are creating social insecurity and they eat bacon. They want those guys to show up. And they know that there's a lot of poor people like Barnabas just bugging them, keep on bugging them, they keep on bugging them because, well, the reason why he's poor is because he's sinning. Right? So therefore, he should be eradicated too. So Barnabas, son of the honorable one, you should be gone. We don't have time for you. But Bartimaeus ignored them. Just like a homeless man at Howard, Georgia, probably, let's picture this, the homeless man would probably say, there's got to be a Christian in that crowd. So I'm going to yell louder, and louder, and louder. Hopefully some Christian in that crowd will hear me. So what does Bartimaeus do? Same thing. What does he do? He yells louder, and louder, repeatedly. Repeatedly. The second point, to notice in, about this crowd is that if you notice that this crowd, they they have their own agenda, right? But I just said that you know they they want Jesus down to take on their throne, but they also have this agenda. Just to the information, this is the same crowd of people that what witness Jesus' healings, witness Jesus' miracles. But not only witness, some of the probably experienced his healing. So why on earth did they ignore Bartimaeus from connecting Bartimaeus to Jesus and have Jesus heal him? It's because they have their own agendas. They had their own agendas and didn't have time for Bartimaeus. They had their own agendas so much so that they ignored the very fact of why Jesus came to this earth to save and heal. They had their agenda so much so that they are preoccupied with the parade, preoccupied with getting Jesus to the door of the temple, if they forgot that Jesus' ultimate reason to come is to save and to heal. How about us? How about us? Do we have agendas as well for God? Do some of us have agendas for God? God, I have my plan. God, I lay this up. This is why I just pray for this. I got want this done. I want this done. I want this done. This and this and this. God, you hear me? Just like the crowd. But sometimes, through this passage, maybe it is time, what my professor would say to me all the time, whenever I read the Bible, Jonathan, you might want to take 10 steps back, 10 steps to the left, and 10,000 feet up high. And what he meant by that is maybe you need to look at it in a different perspective. 
on this passage. Couple of times. Maybe we need to look at our agendas. Ten steps back, ten steps to the left, ten thousand feet high. And allow God to be with us to look at our agenda. So that God can speak to us. There's this old saying that goes like, we only hear what we want to hear. Right? So if we keep if we say that God is not talking to us, maybe it's because we don't want to hear what God has to say. Maybe God is, is not talking to us and we're not listening because of our agenda. We're blocking it. We say, no, no, no. I can't take no for an answer, God. I need that. I want that. I need that career. I want that position. I want that ideal house. I want that. And then again, God says, no, 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 I can't take that part because you never let me down. That's what people are saying. Yet God said, maybe God is equal to us, but we're just not listening because of our agenda. We intentionally or unintentionally block it out. Those are the two principles from this part of the passage. Is A, Bartimaeus trusts that God will, Jesus will listen to him. Doesn't matter how society sees it as filthy, annoying, waste of time, etc., bitter, lazy boys, whatever. How people usually view homeless people. God, he knows and trusts that Jesus will listen to him. Jesus will listen to anyone. God listens to anyone who comes to him. Doesn't matter if you're perfectly clean or if you're perfectly faulty. He will listen to you. Second principle, are, is our agendas blocking our today? Can we take no for an answer? Next. Let's move on to verse 49 to 50. Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called to the blind man. Sure. Okay. On your feet. He's calling you. In other words, yeah. Like this. Just call him off. Just say, you know what? Do whatever you gotta do. Go, right? Like, just literally, don't even care. Like, the guy is blind. How is he supposed to know where to go? Right? Notice how deep-rooted this crowd is with their agenda. They're, the man is blind and they couldn't even see that he's blind. They didn't even notice that he needs a meeting. So, but then Jesus goes and says, what do you want me to do, Jesus asked. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Now, Jesus being God heard Bartimaeus in the middle of an entire mob parade. Now, think about it. Remember, this is 1,000 to 2,000 people. But Jesus amazingly heard him. Okay? Remember, this is a big parade. Palm trees, the lying, trumpets blaring, everything. But Jesus being Jesus heard Bartimaeus. And that's another truth that we need to come to grips with. Right, people of God? That God sees everything, knows everything. Here's everything. He knows every single nuke and cranny that we have in our lives. In your alone time, your time at work, your time with your friends, and yes, even in your choice of lifestyles, he knows. And just so that he knew about where Barnabas was. Now, what did Barnabas do when he heard the crowd tell him that Jesus is calling him? He's flying. He left. In other words, in Greek, they would say, he jumped and ran for him. Gunned it. Now, where is he going? He doesn't know. He doesn't know. He just gunned it. Right? He left and went. But what do we know for a fact then out of this lesson? 
that wherever he goes, that if he obeys Jesus, Jesus will be there to meet him. That he doesn't care like where he's going. As long as he's obedient and he just jumps and does it, he knows that Jesus will happen. Another principle that we need to really come to grips with. How is your relationship with God right now? Do you have that faith? Do we have that faith in God, in Jesus? To know that if I obey him, when I answer his call, to just gun it. And that even if things go rough and tough, and even if I suffer, and even if I face death in the face, that I know that Jesus will catch me. Because I will be his call. Well, because Bartimaeus left everything and went. Remember what the narrator said. He, he said that Bartimaeus left his very cloak, his survival kit, basically. The one thing that could give him more, but also his tool of begging for money. He left the money on the ground that he currently had and just gunned it, knowing full well that Jesus will capture That picture is the picture from uh, the, uh, the Vatican. And you notice that he fell to Jesus. He gunned it, and he and he's still blind, and yet Jesus caught him. Jesus was perfectly placed there. Amazing. God is good. So Mark 52, he goes and says, Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received the sight and followed Jesus along the road. His faith, Bartimaeus, son of the honorable one, why is he honorable? Because of his faith. Bartimaeus' faith healed him. What was his faith? It was the faith that believed that God speaks to anyone, including a filthy, sinful, poor, blind man. A faith that believed that if he submits his agenda to God's agenda, he will answer his prayers. A faith that believed that Jesus, being God, is everywhere and knows exactly where he runs to catch him, and faith that believes that Jesus, being God, will provide for all his needs. He does not need to worry about selflessness, for his ways of sustaining himself is not God's way. He threw away his cloak. This faith, therefore, empowered him to follow Jesus along the road to Calvary. Notice what the, the narrator said. He followed him along the road. This road is the road to Calvary. This is the faith that healed him. People of God, Christian Church, brothers and sisters. We're going through this series of hearing God because uh, Pastor Fritz and I, and as we were praying, we felt deeply that all of us need to deepen, uh, deepen our relationship individually with God. Are there areas that you are not willing to have God or are there things that you're doing that God may not be pleased about, but you're hoping that'll work out at the end? Oh, you know, like uh, I've heard this before. I'm in a relationship, you know, it's, I know it's not right, but God, I really don't trust you. I can't trust you to provide me the right person. Because it's so limited. Like, like there's just like how many guys out there, right? But, you know, so whatever, like, he loves me, I love him. I know you might not like it. Actually, I do know that you don't like it. But it'll work out for you. I got you. You'll never let me down. Or, I know that this is this thing I want. This car, house, whatever thing that we want, that I want. I, I know I really want it. 
I already made my decision. I'll go after it. Even though I know I'm uncomfortable doing it, right here, Holy Spirit, time to be done that. I shouldn't be taking it. I was kidding. Because in the end, I'll work out, right? For all things work together for the good of people. Like, Clean my things! Be honest with yourself. Be truly honest with yourself. We're going through this series hearing God. I don't know how important it is for you to hear God, but it's truly important to me for you to hear God. We as a church together is being sick. And we need to, because we're going off to grow. And I want you to be in sync with the Holy Spirit as well. And I depend on you. You have to depend on you. Individually. So back to the question. Are you there, God? Are you listening to me? Are you even there? Here's a quote from Dallas Willard to answer that. If you find yourself in a position where you can honestly say, God has never spoken to you, then you might ask yourself, why should God speak to me then? What am I doing in life that would make speaking to me a reasonable thing for them to do? Are we in business together in life, or am I in the business just for myself, trying to use a little God to advance my projects? When our lives are devoted to the will of God, He has reason to speak to us. End quote. When our lives are devoted to the will of God, He has reason to speak to us. When our lives are devoted to the will of God, he then has a reason to speak to us. Let us open the eyes of our hearts, oh God. Let us look at ourselves, maybe even separate ourselves, and like my professor say, 10 steps back, 10 steps to the, 10 steps to the left, 10,000 feet up, join up with God, pray, hear God's voice, and then look at our agenda. And see if that is according to the Lord. Is that in the business of God? Because if it ain't, maybe that is why. God is silent. Silence is not necessarily God not talking to you. Silence is God talking to you. It's just a matter of knowing full well that it might not be alive. It's still a couple of people. Okay? Okay. Gracious Father, open our eyes of our hearts. As far as it is to stay, he then say that he will know. He will rid himself of himself, of his sustenance, of his tenants on the cloak, tenants on the money that is on the ground. And he just left and just answered your call. May you empower us and give us your Holy Spirit. And just give us that drive. And just move us to your call as well. Whether it be obedience, changing our lifestyle, coming back to you in repentance, or just to be more deep in conversation with you. Whatever it is that you have convicted each of us, that you will help us turn to you, and your power to change us and open our eyes and our hearts.